A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we've been spending so many hours online during this time of physical distancing, I was thinking about emojis, those digital means to sharing feelings through texting and social media. There's a new one out now, did you know? Just come out in the last few weeks. It's called the care emoji which features a smiley face holding a heart. And I suppose that means that you share a certain amount of connection with the thoughts or emotions reflected in a social media post. Maybe it has come to exist as a more appropriate response than the like or sadness or anger emojis. Yeah, that angry emoji, which could mean I'm angry about a post or angry at the one who posted it, it's very confusing sometimes. Then there's the love emoji, of course, signified by the heart. And rather than sharing loving feelings or maybe being moved to loving action, I think it means something closer to, I strongly agree with this statement you've made online. It's like when you post some Bible verse online that, that might resonate with something that I'm feeling, I'll put that love heart on there for you. I'll make use of that love button. Uh, when I see pictures of my siblings or my nieces and nephews, um, I'll hit that, that emoji, that heart emoji. When someone shares a photo of a big plate of buffalo wings, that always gets a love tap out of me, for sure. Uh, but sharing love online is kind of a strange thing, I think, and has little resemblance to actually loving one another. It has very little to do with being in love, as we understand that. But we know love is an action. 
It's a verb. It's something we do. And Jesus' words to his friends in the Gospel of John share this. For God so loved the world. And he says, just as I loved you, you should also love one another. Those who love me will keep my word. I have made your name known to them so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Those are Jesus' words. And this love of God in Jesus is for a purpose. It comes from the Creator, and it does what it sets out to do. In love, the world is reconciled, brought back together, brought back into loving, purposeful relationship with the one who truly is love. Ah, love. We love love. We want to be loved. But I wonder sometimes, do we want to act in a loving manner? We want love. Often we want to show love. But it's much harder at times to actually be loving. Many of us are familiar with this reading from the Apostle Paul. We've heard it at countless numbers of weddings. Maybe you remember it from your own wedding. It's a testimony to the power of love, to quote Huey Lewis. And for a couple making their promises to one another, it can be truly meaningful. However, that probably is not what Paul had in mind as he was writing this letter to this newly established church in Corinth. As we heard last week, this church is divided. It's fracturing. It's figuring out its identity. It's been pulled in different directions and displayed different allegiances. Paul, the church planter, calls them back to who they really are reminding them that they are all one in Christ Jesus, first and foremost. They are called together to be the followers of Jesus, the ones baptized into Jesus. They're one body with many members, different gifts, and called to serve one another in love. So some of them are wise. That's great. Others can speak in a language understood to come from heaven and Still others can understand and decipher those words spoken in the power of the Holy Spirit. Others are great teachers. Some speak prophetically. Several are generous, and many are deeply faithful. They are a diverse group of human beings from rich cultural backgrounds with varied perspectives and different gifts. What can it be, then, that will hold these people together as one body? It's love. Now, Paul wouldn't write this if they were displaying and acting in the love they had received in Jesus. There clearly was a problem. He, was, he would not be admonishing them in this way if they were responding to the needs of the community in love, sharing the love of God. They had learned from Paul's sharing of the gospel among them. They had failed to love one another. And so Paul writes to redirect their actions toward love personified. The Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. So surely they meant well. Uh, they thought they were doing the right thing when they invited their friends to come and share a feast, to participate in a community of faith, to enjoy one another's company. Yet there were others who were left out. Some members held different status, uh, were from different backgrounds, or had different teachers. There were some who were not considered worthy or unable to join the feast, and their gifts were not welcome. We mean well, too, but just like those in Corinth, our love often falls short. 
And we hear Paul tell us what love is not, and we recognize the ways that we've been unloving, not just to the ones we live with or in the relationships we choose or have been born into, but in the community of faith as well. And we are often impatient, rude, envious, arrogant. We get irritable and resentful, and we insist on our own way. But knowing we are loved by God and welcomed into love through the cross of Christ, we can admit the truth. And we are often unloving and unlovable. And most of the time, we get what we give. When we think about love and we hear these well-used passages of Scripture, I'd like us to think about them in a different way. Hear them anew today. Paul reminds the church then and now that there is another way, another life, another love in the world. His name is Jesus. And if we read these words with new eyes and minds and hearts, we hear that expressed in a new way. Hear it again. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Where we fall short, Jesus finds us. Where we have failed, Jesus has been victorious. Where our love is limited, Jesus' love is unconditional, unyielding, unending. And we might be hard to love at times, or even most of the time, but we have been loved by the one who loved us to the cross, to the grave, and forms us in love for life here in the kingdom. The word reminds us of who we really are. This living word does what it says and makes us into something new altogether. It makes us loved no matter what. This love calls us into a new way of being and a new understanding of what it means to be loving and to be love in the world that lacks it most of the time. We've seen love these last few months as we have made changes in our lives and so many have sacrificed for the safety and care of our vulnerable neighbors. We've shown love when we stayed home because we want to keep our elderly ones safe. We've gathered food for those unable to work or travel or receive benefits. We have washed hands and worn masks and changed our practices, including worship for the sake of those we love and for those who might be at risk. As we continue to discuss and plan for the future, for gatherings, for being in church together, our actions will be determined by guidance from church leaders, science and statistics, but most of all, love. We want to do the loving thing for our neighbors. And this kind of love that puts the other first is not always easy. It's not always comfortable, but it's a contagious kind of love. I caught it from ones who showed me. 
mentors, faculty members, family members, teachers, preachers, friends who cared for me, who sacrificed for me and showed up when they were needed most. That love lives in me now and in all of us through this Holy Spirit that shows up and guides us to places we never thought we'd find ourselves with people we might never have known otherwise. Love is working in us through the Spirit, through the Word of God. I mean, I think about our community of faith here, and I think we're like that church in Corinth in many ways. I mean, we are a diverse group. We are of different backgrounds, socially, economically. We have different tastes, different gifts, different needs, different perspectives. And we do not all act the same, think the same, or want the same things. And that's okay. No matter how varied we may be, we are gathered here by the same spirit, by that same love of Jesus, and made into a worshiping community, formed and sent to show love in the world and to pass it on. Faith, hope, and love abide. They remain with us. And love is the greatest. Think about that for a second. Our faith is in God alone the one who we cannot see, and yet we trust in the goodness of God who is faithful to us. Our hope is in this future when we will see our creator face to face. And once that happens, we don't need to hope anymore. We'll be there. Ultimately, when we do find ourselves in God's presence, faith and hope will no longer be necessary, but love will remain. Love never ends. And each time we come to worship together, in person and online, we, we begin with this reminder, you are God's beloved. You are loved by God, no matter what else you do today. If you feed 200 people, if you write hymns and pray unceasingly, if you lose your temper, say some bad words, hurt someone, or steal a freight train, God loves you. That does not and will not change based on your behavior. That kind of powerful love, this unconditional, steadfast, holy love is not given that it would be hoarded, but that it might be shared. And it is a highly contagious love. When we remember who we are, when we can be assured of this love that we have been gracefully given by God in Jesus, we know that we are freed from the kind of unloving self-judgment that keeps us bound to fear and immobilizes us. When we know we are loved, we will act like it. We will act in love for the sake of our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our city. We can move in the world to act in love for the sake of those who might feel unloved, who might not know their worth and their value in the eyes of Jesus our Lord. And we share it in words and actions by giving of our time and presence and we pass it on over time and in time are transformed as well. This is the love of Jesus. It's stronger than our romantic love, our affinities and affections. It's greater than our failures, our best intentions, our worst moments, and our deepest regrets. It makes us who we are. It makes us new. It makes us children of God.